Hello, and welcome to Anything But Traditional. I'm your host, Marvin Svee, and I'm so happy that you are here today to listen in to Ronel Barak's episode. Giddy and I met Ronel about a year and a half ago for our sixth wedding anniversary when we randomly found her and her campsite on Har Chavron, which is a nice 20-30 minutes past Chevron. Crazily, Gideon and I decided that was a good place to go camping, and in this episode, you'll hear that Ronel even thought we were a bit crazy. But we met Ronel, and we knew exactly why we came. As I was telling a friend recently about Ronel, Ronel is a matriarch. Honestly, I feel like she is the modern-day Sara Imenu. She dealt with fertility issues. She dealt with converting to Judaism, bringing her husband along for the ride. It's a crazy journey. This story is unbelievable. It's truly unreal. And the reason that we are launching it on December 24th is obvious. Runel knew exactly where she was going. She knew exactly who she was going to become. It took 18 years to convert. But you see in this episode that every bit of her journey was perfect. Every bit of her journey had God in it. Had education. It wasn't just, you know, I wake up one day and I want to convert and I convert. It was a long process. You'll hear in this episode how she burned down her Christmas tree and how she shected animals. It, it, it's intense. But it is phenomenal. It's a doozy, <laughs> to say the least. And as you'll see at the end of this episode, this podcast is in two separate parts. Because Ronel's story is intense, it's long, and each word is important to listen to. I didn't want to skip over anything, and I wanted to make sure that you didn't either. So sit back, relax, go get some eggnog, and enjoy this inspirational episode. Thank you, Ronel, for telling your story. Hello, everybody. I'm here with Ronel Barak. I know her as Ronel. I feel like I don't know that many people named Ronel, so it's a very uh, unique, beautiful name. Um, I'm pretty sure that when I met her uh, a year and a half ago, that was one of the first questions I asked you, Ronel. Um, Ronel runs um, a boutique family restaurant perched on the uh, picturesque Judean mountains with an expansive view of the desert and the mountains of Moab, Moab in the far distance. Um, I'm so happy because Ronel last year, me and, uh, me and Giddy met Ronel and it was the best moment ever. Uh, we weren't sure what to do for our anniversary and the last minute I'm like, we had to do something and I was trying to figure it out. And my friend goes, oh, why don't you just stay at Ronel's uh, campsite? And I'm like, who's Ronel? What's her campsite? We went to uh, Har Chavron in the middle, you know, in the middle of the desert. It's literally the most 
beautiful place in the world. Um, and we found this incredible person. She's originally from South Africa. Um, she found her spiritual home here in Israel. She's living her dream of a more meaningful life. And um, she has a cafe. She has a campground. And um, she's trying, you're trying to make an Airbnb, right? Like a more like. Yeah, we uh, we sort of made a decision that the camping site was a little bit too exposed. Um, we live on the edge of the mountain. Um, and because of that, there's a lot of severe wind sometimes and also weather and uh, sometimes it's just too windy you know and and I don't sleep if I've got anybody in the tent and I know the weather is hard or um, yeah so we just decided you know what let's um, put this out there to Shamayim Hashem we would rather like to build a, a little homes you know little houses little timerims and um, the people also I think will have a more um, a better experience. You guys were brave. You were amazing. I was so happy with you. You were just amazing. We loved it. I, I remember we actually, we walked out of our camping experience with you and we were like, man, this was awesome. It was the best. We told people about our trip and they were like, you guys are crazy. What did you just do? <laughs> but um they're like you went past Hebron to the middle of the desert and you camped and I'm like yeah it was awesome and they're like what are you who are you brave very Um, brave two very brave people that's what I saw I really it was one of the best I mean Gideon and I spoke about it we were in treatment um this year but we actually spoke about coming back um we were like nervous I think maybe I don't know if I, we were in treatment. Maybe I was pregnant at the time. I've been pregnant three times. So we <laughs> don't know which I like can't keep track of when's what. But uh, we were like, not this year. But um, we definitely thought about it because it was one of the best trips we ever did. And we were also so grateful to meet you. Um, I was telling my friend a little bit about you. And I feel like you are the modern day. Sorry, Menu. You're you just. Like, I don't even know your full story, but when I met you, I'm like, me and Giddy went to each other. We're like, we have to know her story. And so I'm going to, we're going to delve in here and we're going to delve deep, but I am beyond excited to get to know your story, who Ronell is. Um, and yeah, I'm just really excited. So Ronell, let's start with this. <laughs> Where yeah. did you grow up and what was your family like when you were growing up? Okay, I was very blessed. I grew up in uh, South Africa and uh, uh, I'm 58 years old. So you can imagine it's a few years ago. And um, I think what um, will be interesting for our Jewish listeners is that me and my family both um we didn't grow up as Jewish people. We grew up, both Yosef and I, in Christian homes. Um, yeah, so that's, um, it's, it's almost like 10 lifetimes ago. It's, I say to Yosef when I discuss that I'm going to have the talk with you, it's getting harder and harder for me to tell my story from, 
from there because it's it's really um, it's it's ten lifetimes ago. That's that's how it feels. Now we'll have it recorded. So hopefully, you know, even if you can't tell your story and even if you forget your story, like it will be recorded. So yes, it's yes. a good thing that we have it. Um, so were you and Yosef? I mean, I'm assuming that your name was not Ronel Barak or Yosef Barak. My name was always Ronel. Oh, wow. Um, but my surname was Esbach. And, of course, Yosef was not Yosef. He was Johan Brink. And we didn't know each other <laughs> in the first few years of our lives. Um, my mom gave me my name, Ron Al, um, actually named after my father, whose name was Ron Alt. And um, I never um, thought about it a lot. Uh, it, it was never that it had this great meaning Um uh, there is a name in Afrikaans, which is my home language, Ronel, actually Runel, but it's from um, Pietrunella, which is sort of like a Dutch Dutch origins. But my name wasn't from that. It was um, from my father's name, uh, what, which was Ronald, and um, which is interesting. Also now Hebrew people actually pronounce my name correct because they would say Ron Al, which is really my name. But in South Africa, people will say Ron Runel because they go back to the Dutch origins. Interesting. So, um, yeah, that, that's where my name come from. And um, I, when we um, came to Israel and I was searching for a beautiful Hebrew name, um, one of the rabbis told me, but your name is Jewish. You don't need to change your name. And uh, I was actually very excited about it. You know, wow, how special was that? <laughs> For sure. You're, you were named after your father. Does that mean that your father passed away before you were born or he you just were? Yeah, um, it's sort of a complicated story. Um and it's always difficult for me to go a lot into my um, my family's history because that's not my story. But I can only, I think the only appropriate thing that would be to say um, my father left us before I was born. And um, my mother remarried someone else. And um, yeah, so... Um, which is a gift. Today, if I look back at my life as a child, I think from a very, very young age, the first year of my life, I spent with my mother's um, family. I was with my grandmother. And then my, my mom remarried. And then the next four years of my life, I spent with my new grandmother. And um, only at the age of five, six years old, did I actually go to um, my mother and the wonderful man that I called my father for the rest of my life. Um, but I think it created in me uh, a little bit of a bystander attitude. I always felt a little bit outside of the group and looking in. I don't know if every person born feels like that, but that that was what I felt like. I felt standing outside looking in. So do you do you think that 
being an outsider, feeling like an outsider helped you like make your way to, I mean, you only became religious. You were saying like 12, 13 years ago. I mean, Jewish, you only became Jewish Jewish, 12, 13 years ago. So I guess there's a lot to unpack here. So it's not just like, uh, but I think my first, my first, I've always, this is the one constant in my life is that I have always felt connected to the creator, always, from a very, very young age. Um, and the first time I, um, I experienced um, this very, very strongly was at the age of about five, six years old. My mother came into my room and every night before I went to sleep, we would pray together. And, um, and, she would, and, and she said to me, and I remember this, this is one of my first memories that I have, um, is that my mom told me, whenever you go to sleep and whenever you wake up, um, speak to God. Um, you, you end your day and you start your day speaking to God. So I think that was, that was in the very essence, the very core of me. Um, that, that's how I remember starting life almost is that you go to bed, um, speaking to God, then it wasn't Hashem. It was a different picture, but, um, still it was the creator of the world. And, um, yeah, so that, that's sort of my first memory. Um, a, a second memory that I have that's very, very strong, um, which is also part of who I am, is um, we lived on a small farm in South Africa and we were very much outdoory people. You know, there was chickens, there was uh, a cow, there was a vegetable garden, there were bees, there was, and my mom worked and my my dad worked, but you also had this sort of like uh, farm um, lifestyle. And I was an only child um, for the first 10 years of my life. And my mother really struggled to have children. And um, so I was an only child. Again, you know, only child, own thoughts, own, own um, being with myself, enjoying myself, actually. Um, and I remember this day, we, we were, I was walking with her under the trees. Um, and... Um, I I made the statement. I just said to her, wow, uh, Ima, mom, mama, it was different. I didn't call her Ima, but I'm going to say Ima because this is the word I use today. Um, I I really, really want to fly. I would love to fly because I used to have these occurring dreams that I would be able to fly. And uh, it was, it's just an amazing feeling. It's just as if you were lifted above everything and you see. And uh, so I was very young. I was probably about six years old. And I said, I I really want to fly. And my mom, (laughs) being the beautiful person that she was, she just remarks, then why don't you? And uh, I I looked at her and I said, I I really don't know how. I, I would love to, but I don't know how. Does she know how to fly? You know, does she know how to do it? And she said to me, no, she also doesn't know how to do it. But she thinks if I run um, as fast as I can, um, as fast as the wind, 
she's sure that maybe I'll be able to fly. And I mean, for a six-year-old, it actually made an extremely big impact on me, such a big impact that when I went to school the next year for my first grade, grade one, they called it in South Africa, um, uh, South Africa, the school starts in January. That's the beginning of your school year. And um, it's a very sporty, um, sports are very um, important for South African people. And then they would have this run outs, you know, you would, you would stand in a row um, with your same age and they would say on the marks, get to go and everybody would run and they would catch the first three and those three would go further. And, da, 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 da. and of course, I was standing in this um, row and they said, on your marks, get it, go. And I started running. And I was stone lost. I was the worst runner. Um, and even before I finished, I went to the side and I sat down and I started crying. I was just throbbing my heart out. And uh, the teacher came to me. And, of course, she thought I was crying because I was so lost. Because, listen, I wasn't at the back. I was way back and um it was so bad she had to call my mom to come and pick me up and my mom came and she told my mom um listen maybe you should really speak to her now and um, maybe because she's an only child she doesn't really know how to lose and you know you should explain this concept to her and we got in this tiny little car that my mom had and uh, she started talking to me you know saying to me you know it's okay there's some things we are good in and some things we are less good in and it's okay it doesn't matter and I just I just said to her but I'm never gonna fly I'm really I'm never gonna fly and in that moment my mom understood what was really going on and um, this is the picture that I want to give you of my parents. They were very simple people and they were very, um, but they had the heart. My dad, at that stage, the airplane Airbus 747 was just introduced to South, Af South Africa and they sold tickets for a fun ride that you could do for an hour in the air. I didn't know anything about this. I knew nothing about this. They didn't have the funding to buy three tickets for all of us, but they had the money to buy one ticket. And my father bought me that one ticket and I went for that flight of one hour. And I remember coming out of the plane and running towards my dad, so excited because I flew, I flew in an airplane, you know, and uh, and he hugged me and he said to me, remember, there's, there's more than one way to fly. And uh, yeah, that was my... That was my parents. That's the most I remember. Did you ever think of being a pilot? No, 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 no. I did think of being an aerostase, though, but my father refused me being an aerostase. He wanted me to go study. Wasn't aerostase? Aerostase is the steward, flight attendant. Oh, flight attendant. Oh, you would be so good as a flight attendant. I like see your personality in that. Oh man, that would have been amazing. So, so okay. So you and you grew up and you guys weren't just like kind of Christian. It sounds like with were religious Christians. Yeah, yeah. How did that develop? Like, how did you know where did the life go from that? 
I my first Bible I received was a, a children's Bible. Um, it's a big blue Bible with the most beautiful pictures inside. Um, of course, this is a Christian Bible, so you have what you call the Tanakh stories, and you have an added part which is called the New Testament, according to Christianity. And I got this big blue Bible that I absolutely loved and adored. And because I was an only child, I was a big reader. I loved to read. And um, so I used to write this Bible over and over again. And I was fascinated by the stories of the heroes. And, um, you know, Moses standing in front of the sea, opening the sea before him, King David with the sling. It was just, it was part of my life. So you wouldn't read, like, books. You would read the Bible. No, I also wrote, I, I read anything, anything under the sun that I could, I would read. Did you have a lot of friends growing up, or you felt like you were more like of a bookworm? I was more of a bookworm. Um, I think that's more my husband's words than mine. I thought I was very outgoing and spontaneous, and uh, but uh, his description of me always when he starts telling the story, when we started um, looking at each other, is that, uh, yeah, I was a bookworm. I would always sit with a book. Um, Yes, I loved books. I really loved books. I loved reading and I loved information. And uh, I think my favorite is autobiographies. I love real stories about real people and how they lived life and how they um, came out of whatever was their struggle or not struggle. I love movies, real movies about real people. That's my favorite. But yes, okay, so I had the children's Bible, and at the age of 10, I received my first grown-up Bible, um, which wasn't without pictures and all those things. And in front of the Bible, my mom wrote me. She had the most beautiful um, handwriting, and she wrote in front of the Bible that uh, my name and the date. It was the 30th of June, 1975, that I got this Bible, and she wrote, may this book always serve as a compass, a compass in your life and help you find your true north. And uh, yeah, at the age of 14, when you are a Christian, you have a, sort of a time that you decide that um, you're going to commit your life to um, following Yeshu. Um, this was my faith. So I did that at the age of 14, and that, that, that was who I was. Um, I was part of uh, um, youth Christian groups. I was a leader in youth Christian groups. I was very serious about my faith. Um, and my first question that I remember ever asking was, in our church, we were in a very traditional conservative church. It's called the Niederdeits Gereformeerde Kerk. It has its origins in uh, in uh, Holland, in the Netherlands. And it's a very, very conservative church. It's not uh, evangelistic. Um, it's very conservative. And um, every Sunday, when you go to church, you would read the Ten Commandments. That's almost how church started. Everybody would, would um, stand up and the uh, reverend would read the Ten Commandments. And to me, that was sort of the, the, the basis of our faith, you know, these Ten, ten Commandments. And, but the fourth commandment is that you shall remember 
the Shabbat. And everybody knows that Sunday is not Shabbat. I mean, you can look at any calendar and you see that Sunday is the first day of the week. So I was very much aware that sun, Sunday was um, the first day of the week and Saturday was actually Shabbat. So this caused a bit of a um, question in me. And uh, I went to the reverend because at that stage, you have classes every day, every week um, because you are going from the youth side to the adult side. And then you have sort of lectures in the history of the church and what you believe and how you believe and blah, 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 blah. So we had class with him every week. And that week I asked him, I said to him, why, why did the church change? Um, no, I, I don't even think I, I said the church changed. I just said, why are we keeping Sunday and not Shabbat? Because the, the Ten Commandments is very specific that we should keep the Shabbat. And his answer that he gave me was, um, because of Jesus, we, um, we don't have to keep the Shabbat because we are free from the law um, and we are living under grace. And I... I struggled with it because why didn't anything else change in the Ten Commandments? I, I still can't murder. I still can't, uh, um, you know, and this was sort of like a... So you struggled with it. So I struggled with it. That was sort of the first, my first question. I was about 16 years old, I well, think. Well, the question is also if if you don't have to keep the law, then why are you even talking about the Ten Commandments, right? Like you're talking about the Ten Commandments, but if you're saying that we don't have to keep Shabbat, then why do we have to keep the other nine? Yes, but it's a very, um, I think Hashem works with your neshama or your being or your consciousness in a very, very respectful way. Because um, one thing that um, our listeners should remember it was Hashem's choice that I was born where I was born. Um, so, um, you know, it's not that one day you wake up and you suddenly think, wow, everything's wrong. No, it's, it's a process. And in my life, I'm very, very thankful that it was a very slow process and a very long process because it was almost, I always use the metaphor to say it's a little bit like an onion. And it's layer for layer that gets taken off until you are at the very core of the onion. Um, the closer to the core you get, sometimes the more your eyes burn because of the strength of the onion, you know. So it, it really is a little bit like that. So that was sort of the first question. And uh, Yosef and I met each other when we were very young. Actually, I was 14 years old. Um, when one day me and my mother were at the school and we were sitting at the pavilion and it was a sport day. I didn't know Yosef from Adam. I didn't know who he was. I didn't know anything about him. But I sat next to my mom and I pointed towards this boy who was as big as this uh, from where I was sitting. And I, I said to my mom, one day I'm going to marry that boy. And my mom laughed. She almost fell off the pavilion. She said to me, oh, Renali, I'm still going to hear those words many, many times. And she didn't. 
what was it about Yosef that made you know that that was your husband? No, I have no idea. I, 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 I absolutely have no idea. I, like I say, I didn't know him. I didn't like him. I didn't. I just made this incredible, crazy statement, and um, and then it happened. Wow. <laughs> so maybe crazy. we should be careful what we say, you know. Um, but yes, over the next um, period of two, three years, we got to know each other more and more. Well, how and did you meet? Like you, right? He was all the way over there. But how did you? The next year, the, yeah, the next year after the statement, we were actually in the same class, and um, I really, really started respecting him a lot. He was a very strong leader. Um, he was part of the leadership of our school. He was actually head boy in the in the end in our last year. And he was also very, very good in sports. So he was the rugby captain. He was the tennis captain. He was the everything. And um, but that that wasn't what I liked about him. What I liked about him is that he he always had time for the underdog in the class. He always had time to to spend with the the children that wasn't so um, you know academically strong and. Uh, he, he just always had time and respect for them. And, and if I look back, that is actually what I really, really liked about him. It's the way that he looked at people. He saw people. Um, he was super cool, but he wasn't, like, too cool for you. Like, he wasn't too cool for anyone. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Um, but also, he makes a mean steak. Like, he's not just a great... Uh, ball player because I remember when we, we came he made like the most amazing steak in the world yes it was yes. delicious <laughs> yes and it's very important for him you know now at the moment um, for the last six weeks he's been feeding the soldiers and um, it's such a passion for him to give them the best it's the biggest joy for him to sit in the beginning of the week and say wow we're going to make this and we're going to make this and and I think they will like this and because it's really a caring heart, you know. It's it's looking at people and, again, now looking at a soldier and thinking, wow, what would you like to eat? He has, like, a heart of gold and he's always had that. Yeah. No, we married now in December the 13th, 13th of December. I, I, what, I, I think we're together already. 41 years and um we probably married about 30 38 years wow. you know so it's forever it feels like forever <laughs> we married when we were 21 he went in in South Africa the the men also had to go into national service to the army for two years and he went uh to the army and uh after the army he was um he started studying one year and then we got married and uh yeah we were married from the age of 21 wow and you guys were both 21 like you guys are the same age yes we were the same age we are i'm actually six weeks older than him and i love to tell him that <laughs> <laughs> okay so you met when you were 14 and then no 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 we we yeah i i'm i i noticed him when i was 14 um we started um, being a couple when we were 17 and a half. Oh, wow. Okay, fine. So yeah. you guys, and did he ever think about Judaism? Like, did, you, did he ever question no, Christianity? No. Before? He was as happy as a little pig, pig in Palestine. Um, 
in Christianity. Really, no questions. His father, um, although he was a bank manager, he was also um, a religious leader in the church. He was uh, what we call an elder, an uh, elderling. And his mother was very involved in church. Um, no questions, no questions at all. Um, nothing. I I was the one. Um, I was the one that that had the questions initially. And you continued to have questions after that first question about Shabbat. Yes, I I think um, the next. There was just so many things. Um, but I think the next sort of landmark in my journey was I was 30 years old. I'm going to skip everything in between for a bit. We'll go back. But um, I'll tell you, I was 30. Just before I turned 30, it was 1994. And I I prayed. I was reading the the scripture where Hashem was speaking to Moshe in the burning bush and I suddenly had such a uh, I can't explain it. it it touched me so much to think that the God um, of Israel the creator of the world took the time to burn a bush to speak to Moshe it, it was like I, I just thought wow you know and I this is me I'm very um, expressive and um, I, I love to do things and it means something to me. So I immediately took off my shoes and I stood up and I started praying and I said, Hashem, God, I didn't call him Hashem then, but out of respect for the God we serve, we call him Hashem today. Um, I, I would love it if you speak to me like you spoke to Moshe. Because he knew exactly what to do. He knew what you were telling him what to do. Isn't that incredible? And I said, Hashem, if I know what you want me to do, I promise I will do it. But I need to hear you like Moshe heard you. And you know where we are today, looking back, what was I actually asking? I was actually asking for the Torah. But I didn't understand it. I, I, you don't understand. You know, it's a layer. It's something that's hidden. But, but you, you um, this is actually what I was praying. This is actually what I was asking. And, and then things really started to, to, to speed up. In a period that we now skip, like say from the age where Yosef and I got married to me making and doing this prayer, I experienced an extremely big struggle in the church. It just got worse and worse and worse up to a stage where I actually asked Yosef, um, can I just step back a bit? You know, I, I feel I, I, I feel I'm so judgmental. Uh, I feel I'm just seeing everything that's wrong. And I felt that it was in me that, that I had a problem, that I couldn't submit to... Um, to what was going on in church. And um, I struggled with, with a lot of things. And it, it's very difficult for me to remember and tell you it was this and this and this. It was just a, like a scratch, you know. It's like everything is bothering, but you you don't really know how to even voice it. 
Yosef was not feeling this. No, he was very happy. He became a deacon. Um, I was very involved in helping poor people. He was very in involved in helping me with that. That I loved. But the minute I would go into church and I would listen to a preacher, a reverend speaking, I always felt like they would take a, a and please, it's no criticism. It's it's what I felt. Um, they would take a scripture and build a whole religion around the scripture without really going into when was it written, by who was it written, what was before it, what was after it, what's it really talking about. It's almost if I want to tell you something, I, I want to give you a message. I find the scripture that's going to tell you what what I want to tell you, to sort of give it a strength, you know? Listen, I don't want you to talk about other people. So I'm going to find the scriptures in the Bible that, that gives this um, message strength. And, okay, Beseder, but it, it just felt to me, it was always on a, on a level of manipulation, um, not, not a level of let's, let's learn, let's study, let's... Um, let's Talk about it. That's also not um, something that happens in, in um, you know, a, a Jewish synagogue is a house of prayer. Um, a church is not a house of prayer. Interesting. What is a church? A church is to, was, in my experience, where someone stands in front of you and tells you what he wants you to think. <laughs> Sorry, this is, this is how... I felt it. Now I can actually voice it. Then I didn't even know that wow. this was what I was feeling. But it's also, I mean, it, it's funny because in Judaism, right? Like we always say, like three rabbis, you know, four opinions, right? Yes, the freedom, the the freedom of thinking, you know, and the 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 the, the right to ask the questions. Right. The I mean, right to ask the question. Hashem is not. I always used to say this to everybody. Hashem is not afraid to be questioned and another thing is i don't need to defend hashem um and and yes it's just also you know christianity you are taught that you should save other people it's your um you have to save people and in the beginning it's, it's so it's it's such a um it was a big burden for me uh, uh, to do this because this is the purpose, you know, you, and then as you get older and, 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 and then you, you, you start to think, but, but I can't do this. You know, I, I don't want to do this. I, this is not how Hashem uh, connected with me. Um, with me, it was a desire and a, 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 um, a reading of the Bible and, and an own um, relationship. Um, so I don't want to go and say to someone, listen, do you believe in Jesus? You know, if you don't believe in Jesus, you're going to hell. Wow, what a, what a statement. What a statement. And, um, yeah, so it's, it's all these little things, you know, that, that you are part of. And I, I, I'm not saying I never did it. But then the longer you do it, the more, and I think the more you, you actually study um, and and you read the Bible, the more actually you're starting to realize something's wrong, something's not adding up. Okay, so like I said, I I made this prayer, 
And um, yeah, I, at the time when I was like almost 30. Did you have like children at the time or you didn't have children yet? I had one son. Um, I was also struggling to have um, to fall pregnant. And we, um, we had miscarriages. I, n- I was never brave enough to go um, for all the treatments and the tests and everything. I, um, I don't know. I, I just never was. I sort of accepted it. I uh, plunged into um, what can I do, you know. So I would, um, during this, I think it was um, after the birth of, of Yuda. He was then Stefan. I didn't call him Yuda then. Uh, Yosef and I was already married four years when he was born. I started looking at my family and I, I, I realized my mom also struggled to have children. And, and I also struggled to have children. And, and uh, sort of, I think maybe the Christian way of thinking, I don't know, is, Hashem, what can I correct? So I really started to read about um, how do you act when you have a little boy and how do you act when you have a little girl? And this was all in the Torah. And um, this woke me up. Um, to the fact that um, there's a way to act um, in your bedroom. There's a way to act. Um, There's a difference, you know, you had to make an offer. And there was was a lot of things that started to, to, that I started to wonder about. In the tour, there's also this feeling of like infertility or difficulty to get pregnant is, is, it's not normal, but it's, it's more normal. It's not like what, yeah. you know, we have Sarimina, we have Rivka, Rachel, right? And then we have like Hannah, right? Like the person that created tefillah. Um, and I think that that's really like, you know, it, it's more like work with me here, Hashem. Like, and it's okay to be upset with Hashem when you're going through a hard time um, and to talk with him. Yes. And, and what do I need to learn? What do I need to learn? Or what do I need to unlearn? Or maybe I shouldn't learn or unlearn anything. Maybe you're just busy with me creating something beautiful in me that cannot come if I don't go through the struggle. So all this was starting to, 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 to be um, part of my thinking. So I was so busy with myself and the struggle with what I was feeling inside my spiritual um, life that I think I just accepted um, the fact that I was struggling. It didn't make it easier and it didn't make the sadness less when I lost a pregnancy, but it made the acceptance level maybe a little easier for me. So I think the next landmark um, that I would mention is um, in Christianity, you have a festival called Christmas and you have a festival um, called Easter. And this is sort of the two main festivals. In the one festival, Christmas, you sort of celebrate the birth of Jesus. And in the festival of of Easter, it's sort of his crucifixion and his um, rising from the dead. Okay. So, but um, 
in Christianity, it's been so mixed with paganism. Um, and the, 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 because there's no halacha, there's no derech, there's no, uh, guys, this is what, how you do Christmas and this is to, how you, it sort of becomes this festival that's got a mix of everything inside it, okay? So in, I think it was about 1997, I was decorating my Christmas tree. I had a beautiful Christmas tree. I love beautiful things. And I love to make things beautiful. And um, so my Christmas tree was, was really top-notch. It, uh, it was a beautiful Christmas tree. And I was decorating this tree. And I just started praying, you know. And uh, I, I, I prayed to Hashem and I said, um, why do I have this tree? What is the connection with this tree? And the birth of Jesus. And uh, teach me. I don't know. Teach me what I should do. Is there a specific way that I should decorate this tree? Is there a color that I should focus on? Uh, why do I do this? And why? I, I was just really speaking to Hashem, doing something that I loved. Okay? Decorating my Christmas tree. Uh, when I used to speak to Hashem, uh, I always, till today, have a journal, and it's next to my bed. And if there's something that I, I really um, pray about or thinking about, I would write it in my journal. So this was important enough for me to write in my journal. I wrote in my journal that um, I, I really want Hashem to, to explain to me how to decorate my Christmas tree. And about two weeks later... Uh, during this time, I, uh, with my husband's permission, but not necessarily blessing, um, was going to different churches, um, trying to find um, a place where I felt more connected. And this night, I went to uh, what you would call in Christianity a mega church. It's a big church. I think there's about a thousand people in this church, maybe two. It's a big church. And it's more evangelist, evangelical, and they play beautiful music. And it's a very, very, very different vibe from what I'm used to. And I went um, searching, you know, just I went to see maybe, maybe, maybe alone without yourself. Um, and I sat down and a woman came walking in and she sat next to me. And what caught my eye about her is her hair. She had a hat on. And that caught my eye because I was at a place where I started, if I prayed to Hashem, I would take a big piece of cloth and I would cover myself like a tent because I read the part in, um, in the Torah. I didn't call it the Torah then. Listen, it wasn't at all like I'm reading it now. But where you have the parasha of Bilam and Balak, where they want to curse the children of Israel, it says that the tent of Yaakov was their protection. Um, and I, it was so fascinating to me, you know. So what I would do, like I say, I'm very... Um, I, I put meaning in things, you know. So um, I made myself this beautiful pink cloth with little tassels uh, in the end. And I would use this 
to cover myself like a tent if I would pray. And, uh, and this sort of started me on, but you know, during the day when I walk around, I'm not under this tent, but I'm always speaking to Hashem, you know. So I was in my head, I was thinking, maybe I should put a hat on my head, you know. Maybe, maybe that will work, you know. That was just something I was thinking about, something I was contemplating. So this woman walks in and she has a hat on and that draws my attention. And she started talking. She doesn't know me from Adam. And taka, 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 a little bit too much. Because like I say, I come from the conservative world where you don't taka, 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 taka in church. You sort of quiet and you listen to what they say. And there's an order. And this was very different. And uh, But she was there and she was there for an incredible, amazing reason. And the reason was that she pointed at the seven Christmas trees that was decorated in this church. Beautiful, big, massive Christmas trees. It's a big church, I told you that. And she said, you know, I don't know why they have these Christmas trees in the church because this is actually pagan um, and they shouldn't have this in the church. And I'm like, how can you just say something like that? Now, this is, you must remember, this is before Google, it's before the internet, it's before information is the tip of your fingers, it's before that. And I, I, I said to her, how do you know this? Because I know what I prayed. I know what's written in my journal. I know I'm busy with Christmas trees. So um, she said to me, go to any library, do your own study. That was her words. Go do your own study. And thank God, that was Sunday, Monday morning. I walked into the library in Krugersdorp, and I asked the librarian, do you have any books on the origins of Christian uh, festivals, Christian traditions? And I thought she was going to fall off her tree, a chair. I, I, I thought, what a question. And she said, yes, we do. But it's books that you cannot take out, so you have to study them here. I said, Pesedra, I've got no problem. I've got time. And she went and she took about four or five books from the shelves. But there was one book that caught my eye. It was a big black book. It wasn't because it was big and it wasn't because it was black, but it was because of its title. Its title was Come Out of Babylon. It caught my eye because I adore the book of Daniel. I love the story of Daniel, and I love the fact that this man was taken from everything that was dear to him, that he loved, and he was placed in a place that was so far from God, but he kept his ways. He kept who he was, and he was diligent in who he was and what he was. So I just love the book of Daniel, So, and he was in Babylon, so Come out of Babylon caught my eye. I opened this book, and when I read the origins of Christmas, I couldn't stand. I had to sit on the carpet of the library. And I remember I was having this book on my lap, and it was another layer of the onion that was being removed. But it was so shocking to me that it felt as if the earth moved it felt as if my earth moved and I had to sit down and I sat with this big book on my lap and I started to cry 
And my only fear was, Hashem, how am I going to tell my husband this? And uh, I prayed. I just said, prepare his heart. Prepare his heart. And I'm not going to give you the whole origins. Everybody can go and study that themselves. Let's not give attention to the other side. But anyway, I closed the book. I got in the car and I drove home. And Yosef was home and I walked into the house and I said to him, Yosef, this is what I learned today. And I really, really want to burn this Christmas tree because I don't want it in my house anymore. And he looked at me as if I just landed from Mars, but bless his beautiful soul. He said to me, if it's that important to you, you can burn it. It's okay. But, <laughs> and this was sort of the, the add-on that he said. He just said to me, but now I'm not buying you a new tree next year. <laughs> and I said to him, don't worry. We'll never, ever, 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 ever have a Christmas tree again. So mm. that was um, November, December 1997. We burned our Christmas tree. How did you burn it? It's such a big thing. And I didn't want to throw it away because first he said to me, let's just throw it in the bin. And I said, no, if we throw it in the bin, someone else gets it. And it's on me because I know what this tree is. It's on me. So we burn it. And he said, okay, burn. So we made a big fire and we burned everything. And I mean, we burned everything, you know, the little bobbles and everything and the little chuk, chuk, chuk. I still struggle still today when it's Sukkot. And I see this Sukkot decorations that resemble something of Christmas to me. I still, I have a very, very plain sukkah. <laughs> Very plain sukkah, mainly with wooden um, fruits that my grandchildren make and paint, and um, I'm and fruit. You know, I'm still I'm very 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 aware of uh, of where I come from. You know, so um, I don't like the bling. I don't. But anyway, that's another story. So, yes, and then I started um, to really study the so-called New Testament um, more diligently, okay? And um, I realized that there's a lot of things that the church are actually not doing that's written in this book. So I started to do those things more diligently, and we're not going to talk about that a lot because it's not important for a Jewish person to understand that. But um, you know, Hashem works in ways sometimes, I think, when you are all alone there in the nations, in Babylon, in a kind of Babylon, in a kind of exile, in a kind of darkness that you don't even know that you are in, that he he works with you like you are a child still, you know, you're still a baby. And I was a baby. Like the whole concept of a Tenok Shanishba is someone that like was, you, do you know what a Tenok Shanishba is? No. Oh, wow. That's crazy. Um, Tenok Shanishba is someone that like, basically it's a person. I don't know how it 
fully translates, but a tinoke is a baby, right? And it means somebody that, like, didn't know anything before and then came, like, a baby, not like, yeah. an act, you know, they're not an actual baby, but they're a baby to the Torah. And, like, that's that with you. Like, you didn't know anything beforehand. I mean, you were yeah. also not, I think a lot of it is referred to people that are, like, are Jewish but didn't know and then they knew. But yeah. that's what you're saying, basically, that you were, like, I didn't Jewish know. Mishpah. I had nothing. Didn't know any Jewish people. I had no desire to live in Israel. I had no uh, connection to anything Jewish, nothing. I was a real, honest Christian. Spoke Afrikaans, lived in South Africa, and no aspirations to be anything else than what I was, okay? Except to serve the God that I loved with all my heart. That was my desire. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Anything But Traditional with Ronel Barak. As I said in the beginning, and as you can clearly see, this episode is not done. Ronel's story is not yet finished. We have a lot more to unpack next week with her becoming Jewish, her moving to Israel, her having children, her children being in the army, and so much more. So stay tuned for next week. And as always, there's a lot to unpack here. So please go on over to Tales of Tomorrow on Instagram. DM me right in the question box. Let's talk it out. Also, please make sure to leave a review on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. And lastly, please note that there are sponsorship opportunities. Sponsorship ads, if you want to share your business, if you want to share... A big shout out to a friend, a family member. This is your opportunity. So hit me up. Let me know. And thank you for listening as always. Until next time. All the best. All the best.